Two words. Repeal Obamacare. That is our motion. That is what we are here to debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University for another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. And to debate this motion, we have a congressman, presidential advisors, and a man who has written more about the topic than anybody, I think we can say literally. And in this debate, we want you to listen carefully because you are a live audience. You act as our judges. By the time this debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote two times, once before the debate and once again afterwards. And the team that has been most persuasive, that has changed most of your minds, will be declared our winner. So on to round one. Our motion is repeal Obamacare. And first to argue for this motion, for repeal, I'd like to introduce John Shattuck, a congressman from Arizona. Let me say that former congressman after eight terms decided to step away from the job, which is not something that a lot of people in your position... Actually, you tried twice. The first time your fellow Republicans asked you not to leave, finally you, you got away, John. And they, they liked your rhetoric, which included on this topic a reference to the Obama reform program as Soviet-style gulag health care. I, I, I want to say, come now. <laughs> do, do you stand by that? No, I think that uh, it is a it is a part of the dialogue that you try to get attention, and that was an attempt to gather some and, attention. And it worked. We'll see what else you have to say tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, John Shattuck. Thank you very much, John, and thank you to the audience. You play a key role here tonight. Uh, and most of all, I want to thank my debate partner, Douglas Holtz-Aiken, former CBO director and a senior policy advisor to Senator John McCain. Let me begin, however, by refuting two arguments. First, Supporters of Obamacare will say that Republicans simply don't believe in health care and indeed that they favor the status quo. That is simply wrong. I believe in my tenure in Congress I have written more health care reform bills than any other member of Congress. And you will find countless proposals by Republicans to reform our nation's health care. Second, supporters of Obamacare will tell you that it will actually save the government money and they will tell you that repealing it will cost the government money. But I urge you to begin by just looking at that question with common sense. Obamacare insures roughly 32 million additional Americans, most through Medicaid. That will increase cost. It creates a massive new bureaucracy, some 150-plus agencies and bureaus. That's got to increase costs. And it extends uh, dramatic new mandates over health insurance in America, and that will increase cost. The current system is, in fact, broken. Costs are way too high, and they're going up too quickly. There are too many uninsured, and too many Americans have pre-existing conditions and cannot get affordable coverage. I have a pre-existing condition, and I have an older sister who, has, who is a breast cancer survivor, probably the worst kind of pre-existing condition. Obamacare is simply the wrong answer. It will not only increase the cost to the government, but it will drive up your premiums, and the experts agree on that point. It moves, and perhaps this is most important, health care decision-making away from employers and the insurance companies they hire, but it doesn't give those decisions to you and me. It gives them to the government. What we need to do is take decision-making away from employers and insurance companies and give it to people. Why? Because if the health insurance is yours, you can make the changes. You aren't trapped in a plan your employer picked. You can force the insurance companies to compete which they don't do now. And because it's yours, you can fire it, meaning you can hold it accountable to you. Let me touch on some of Obamacare's broken promises. The president told us over 
and over, and quite frankly, over again, that if you like your plan, you can keep it. Not true. He said, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Not true. And he said that Obamacare would, cur- would bend the cost curve down. None of those promises, as we examine the plan, turn out to be true. Leading experts say few plans will actually survive. How could they survive? They have to meet benefit mandates that haven't even yet been written. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're debating the motion, repeal Obamacare, in this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now to argue against the motion, Paul Starr, who is a uh, professor of sociology and public affairs at Princeton. He's uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner for his book on health care called The Social Transformation of American Medicine. Paul, you also uh, were a, an advisor to President Clinton the first time the Democrats tried to pull off a, a major reform and, and failed. What got right this time that you got wrong last time to at least get the act, to get the law passed? Well, I think one of the big differences this time was more consensus. More consensus among Democrats in Congress, more consensus between the White House and Congress, more consensus also with the stakeholder groups in healthcare who realize that the current course is unsustainable, that we need to change. Well, let me and, let you get launched. Well. Because <laughs> I feel like I should deduct. All right. <laughs> I'm joking. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Starr. Thank you. We should uphold the Affordable Care Act because it is morally the right thing to do, and it is in our common interest. And when I first began work on health care back in the 1970s, the official number for the uninsured was 26 million, 12 percent of the population. By the early 90s, it was up to 37 million. Now it's reached 50 million. And if we were to do the kinds of things that the congressman has advocated, the number will go higher. Still, the majority of Americans, and I guess most of the people here tonight, do have insurance. And it's tricky to figure out how to help the millions who get a raw deal while protecting the interests of those who already have protection. And the Affordable Care Act is an intelligently crafted effort to do that. It extends coverage in two ways, uh, by expanding Medicaid for poor people who've been cut out of that program, and by creating insurance exchanges where other people can easily and efficiently buy a private insurance plan under a new set of rules. Now, the insurance exchange is not just a hypothetical concept. Massachusetts has a working exchange, the Health Connector, adopted as part of the reforms introduced by Governor Mitt Romney and passed overwhelmingly by both parties. If you move to Massachusetts, you can use the Connector's website and in half an hour sign up for an insurance plan. No broker's fees, no hassle. The exchanges are just one way the reform squeezes out costs from the system. Now, substantively, the Affordable Care Act is bipartisan legislation. We just don't happen to live in a bipartisan political era. Our Republican friends will tell you that this legislation will explode the deficit, even though the CBO tells us it will reduce the deficit. But while listening to the other side, please bear in mind that when Bill Clinton left office, we were looking at a $3.1 trillion surplus back then. Then Bush came in, cut taxes, passed a Medicare prescription drug benefit with no financing, and, of course, the deficit exploded, exploded on their watch. In the years between 2001 and 2006, when Republicans had control of both the White House and Congress, what did they do about health care costs? Here are the facts. Family health insurance premiums went up 87% compared to 20% 
increase in general inflation, and a decline of 3% in real median household income. Many of the interest groups that opposed health care reform in the past uh, decided uh, that the current situation uh, had to be changed. And that's why we got legislation in 2010, not just because of the Democrats, but because so many in healthcare saw what was wrong and worked to make it, uh, uh, to change it. Thank you very much. Well, here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters who are fighting it out over this motion, repeal Obamacare. To argue for the motion, to argue for the repeal of Obamacare, I'd like to introduce Douglas Holtz-Aiken, who is president of the American Factor Forum. He was with the McCain campaign as, uh, as an advisor, and uh, in his uh, critiques of uh, the Obama health plan, came up with the rather telling phrase, fantasy in, fantasy out. I, I also learned through Google a rather delicious fact, and you were a good sport about it, that after leaving the McCain campaign, you couldn't get health insurance for some time. Uh, not exactly right. right? Um, I have a pre-existing condition. I actually have two kidneys on my left side from some extensive reworking for the 21st century. And uh, um, I was left on COBRA coverage. Uh-huh. And the solution, of course, is to start your own employer. So I started a think tank to get into insurance. So you're covered. I am covered. You took it the hard way. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Douglas Holtz-Aiken. Thank you. This reform flunks the test of health care reform. It does not deal with the cost problem. Real health care reform has two pieces. Number one, it extends coverage to Americans, gives them options for insurance, and insurance is a product which shifts around the cost of your health care. In the end, an insurance system takes the nation's health care bill and shifts around who picks up the ultimate cost. The second piece, the piece that drives everything, is the overall health care bill. And the United States has a health care bill which is far too large and certainly far too large for what we get. At one-sixth of our economy, it is one of the most inefficient pieces of economics that one could imagine. And if you don't control costs, you cannot control insurance premiums and you cannot deal with extending coverage to Americans. Now, I don't need to say so. Many people far more qualified than I have said so. You can look at the CMS actuary, the, the administration, the Obama administration's own chief actuary, Richard Foster, who estimates that the Affordable Care Act will raise national health care spending, not lower it. Jonathan Gruber is one of the architects of Obamacare. And in his article in the Journal of uh, Policy Analysis and Management, he says, this isn't about cost reform. This is health insurance reform. There's nothing in it. Much like Massachusetts, it's just about covering people. It doesn't control costs. Now, I'm a former CBO director. It is my obligation to stand up in public and say apocalyptic things about the budgetary future. This nation, looking forward... In the administration's budget, 10 years from now, after the financial crisis in memory, after we are soon to be out of Iraq, out of Iran, after the economy is assumed to be back at 5% unemployment, we are running a deficit of a trillion dollars, 900 billion of it to pay interest on previous borrowing. This act makes that situation worse, not better. It sets up two new open-ended entitled programs that will grow, according to the CBO, at 8% a year, as far as the eye can see. The economy is not going to grow at 8%. Revenues aren't going to grow at 8%. The only way you could make that kind of a move add up budgetarily is smoke, mirrors, and gimmicks, and that's what the Affordable Care Act is riddled with. So we can't afford this as a nation. It is dangerous. Now, you'll hear some other arguments from the other side, the issues of fairness. Let us stipulate this is one of the most unfair pieces of legislation ever passed. And for every young person in this audience, this is a disaster. Through the individual mandate, you'll be obligated to be in the pool 
The purpose is to put you in there to pay the, the health care bills of people who are older and sicker than you. And at the end of your life, you get to pick up the debt that's been incurred through Obamacare. It is one of the most intergenerationally unfair things that has ever been scripted by the United States Congress. It should be repealed on those grounds alone. Thank you. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating to make you think twice. Four panelists are arguing for and against this motion. Repeal Obamacare. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to the Oxford-style debate of Intelligence Squared U.S. Welcome back to the program. Our motion, repeal Obamacare, and our final speaker in opening statements to speak against the motion, Jonathan Cohn, who is a senior editor at The New Republic. He wrote a book called Sick, The Untold Story of America's Healthcare Crisis, which in some ways explains his evolution from pure journalist into advocate with the scores and scores of stories of people in dire straits that he reported and and is very passionate about. You also had a blog throughout the debate called The Treatment, and you signed off after the legislation passed saying, and I quote you, the debate has ended. So why are we here? I like to think it's been a full employment act for people like me who write about health care. <laughs> All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan program. Cohn. Now, you've listened to this team over here. You've listened to their arguments, and they've painted a very dire picture of a program out of control that's going to cost more than anybody thinks. It's going to leave us all paying tons in insurance premiums. And, you know, they have to paint an apocalyptic picture because I think the honest truth is most of us, when we hear that about the benefits of the plans, that we'll be able to guarantee coverage for people who have pre-existing conditions, the right to appeal treatments when their uh, insurance company turns it down, subsidies for people who can't buy coverage now, people like that. They think that is a good idea. So they focus on this cost question. I look around the world. I look at countries like France and Germany and Switzerland and Japan, countries that get just as good health care as we do or better. People have easier access to health care, and yet they spend less than we do. Now, is there something about the United States that we're not capable? We're not innovative enough? We can't do that? I don't think so. So I want to do two things here. First, I want to explain why I have faith that the Obama health care bill will, in fact, reduce costs. And I want to specifically go through some of the arguments they've made and tell you why they're misleading. Let me take a second and explain how the bill tra- designed to do that. It has three basic approaches. One is to get the low-hanging fruit of health care, the waste. A lot of this is corporate welfare. Right now, for example, insurance companies that provide benefits through Medicare, study after study has shown that we pay them too much. So we're going to say, all right, we're going to take some of that back. We're going to take back that corporate welfare. Another source of offsetting revenue for the health care program is to go and ask the people who are benefited the most from our economy, the people who are the very wealthiest in our society, to pay back a little more in taxes. But it's the third part of health care reform, the third part of cost control, that's the most important. Everybody who has looked at this, every expert, left and right, says we waste a ton of money in our medical care system. Some of this is administrative waste because everyone's dealing with 10 different insurance companies. Some of this is duplicative treatments because Dr. A doesn't know what Dr. B is doing to patient C. The Obama health care bill, what it does is it tries to attack those. And it tries dozens of different approaches. And it's not a liberal takeover. It is not something crazy extremists cooked up on one side. It's actually the best ideas of the left and the right. It's ideas like not paying hospitals if they run high rates of in-hospital infection. It's things like developing electronic medical records so we can keep track of what patients are getting as they move through the medical system. It's about giving financial incentives to doctors and hospitals that coordinate care and focus on prevention. Now, uh, Douglas Holtz got up here and said, these numbers are crazy. Of course this is going to explode the deficit. Again, 
common sense. Well, the most reliable authority we have on this is the Congressional Budget Office. My reading of the CBO report is they looked at the health care bill and they said, you know what? This bill will reduce the deficit. It will reduce the deficit in the first 10 years and reduce it by a lot more afterwards. The people, the list of experts who have endorsed this, it's not just the Congressional Budget Office. It's people like David Cutler, a professor at Harvard University, who won the John, John Bates Clark Medal for the most uh, accomplished economist under 40. It's people like Mark McClellan, who has said that he believes the Affordable Care Act will start to reduce health care spending. And why do we care about Mark McClellan? Because Mark McClellan ran Medicare in the Bush administration. This is not my opinion. This is not some crazy opinion. It is, in fact, the opinion of the best experts of left and right. Jonathan Cohn, your time is up. Thank you very much. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion being argued is repeal Obamacare. Now, keep in mind how you voted at the top of the evening, because you're going to be asked to vote again at the conclusion. And I want to remind you that the team that changes the most minds will be declared our winner. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. We have two teams of debaters, two against two, who are arguing over this motion, repeal Obamacare. On one side, a former congressman and former aide to John McCain are arguing that the plan passed by the Obama administration is going to blow up financially and will hurt America and is headed for the dustbin. Arguing against them, a former advisor to the Clinton administration and a journalist who has written extensively about health care, arguing that this law uh, should be preserved, and not only preserved, but built upon. I want to ask a question about philosophy. Both sides agree that the system we've lived with for the last 30 years, particularly in its last 15 or 20 years, is broken. You agree that something needs to be done. Your opposition on one side to the president's program and your support on the other side says what fundamentally about what you think we are as a nation, as Americans. I want to put that question first to you, John Shattuck, former member of Congress. I'm thrilled to have that question because I think it's vitally important. Uh, I think reality, we're a nation that does support taking care of those who can't care for themselves. We're a nation that thinks it's outrageous that anybody would lose coverage because they have a pre-existing condition like my heart condition or my sister's breast cancer. But we're also a nation that honors limited government and honors individual choice. I think on the one hand, what you hear from the other side is that the government can manage this issue better. And what I would suggest to you is we are in this problem because the government made changes that took you and I out of the equation. The government said health insurance is available only if your employer buys it and you get a tax deduction. But if you go out and buy it, it's one-third more expensive. If you can't hire and fire somebody that's delivering a service to you, you can't hold it accountable, including its costs. So, John, you're saying there's an issue of individual freedom here. Absolutely. It's a liberty question. Let but me take the it individual to- freedom is tied back to the cost of the service. And because we can't control it, we aren't controlling its cost. Let me take your response to the other side, Paul Starr, who worked for the Clinton administration. I, I do think this is a question of our public philosophy. And it is, I think, a sad commentary on us that we remain the only advanced country that doesn't provide protection to all of our citizens. Now, the reason we have, let, let, let's go back to why we have this employer-based system. If you don't have government share, spread the costs uh, of health care, there needs to be some organization that serves as the pool for risk. And the employer 
uh, is the most convenient way to do it. That's actually why this first developed the 1930s and 40s, before we had the tax advantages. It's not as though the government took this away from individuals. That individual market that the congressman loves is phenomenally inefficient. But, Paul, what that about, what about your opponent's work. point that, that as a nation, philosophically as a nation, we're defined by a commitment to limited government and that, that this yes. program actually assaults that notion? But it is a program, as I said before, that is trying to create a functioning market, a better functioning market than the one that currently exists. Those exchanges will give people choices that they don't now have. All Republicans are arguing is that you ought to give that choice to people. I do not favor individual purchase. I favor a plan which says I, as an individual, can buy an individual plan. I can take my employer's plan or I can buy from a whole group of expanded choices. We can have uh, my social club, the Qantas Club can offer, offer a plan. My university alumni can offer a plan. Give me that choice. Force those insurance companies to compete. They don't compete right now. They don't care what you and I pay for health insurance, and they don't, quite frankly, care whether it treats us well. Jonathan they only Cohn? care that our employer bought the plan. Jonathan Cohn, you arguing know, I, against the uh, uh, Well, I would say, I mean, I think all of us favor choice. Choice is a wonderful thing. We want to give choice. This plan, this Affordable Care Act plan, what it does is, all right, let's create a market, a real market, a place kind of like Expedia, like they have in Massachusetts now, where everybody who's buying on their own actually gets a choice of, of insurance programs, a, a, set of, a set of plans that they know will be there, that they can afford, that will be made available to them to, regardless if they're a cancer survivor, and let all of those people shop. Meanwhile, employers who have insurance for their employees will continue to provide that. Look, at some point, it is very easy to say we want to open up the exchanges for everybody and let everybody shop. You can build on this system to do that, but you're never going to get to that system you're talking about. You will never get to a system where people have choice and a choice of actual plans that are available to everybody until you build these exchanges that are in the Affordable Care Act. Douglas Holtake, and you're against, you're against the plan. I want to ask you, what, what, so what do you, what do you I, think the public in? actually wants? Let, let me, I, I have no idea. Let me just... <laughs> I, I would never speak for um, uh, 300 million Americans, and that's one of the beautiful things about this country. I, you know, I, I agree, obviously, with a lot of what John has, has said. Now... Do you really think that Americans want an insurance company making decisions about the end-of-life care? No. They've already uh, seen that model and rejected it. Uh, so when you are telling HMOs. us what Americans want or not. So they told us let's there. circulate that you can do that. They told us. I'll read that evidence. Uh, I don't think they want the government making those decisions. I think we know who makes those decisions. It's the family. It's, it's, those are the only people who are ethically well-situated to make those tough calls. And so we must, in the end, invest in families and center this system around families and Americans, not around these large government entities. What does that mean in practice? I'm an economist. I mean, economists are practical people. You follow your nose on incentives. If I have an insurance policy when I'm 21, and then I develop an odd thing where I have to have my kidneys transplanted, I'm still on that insurance policy. Any insurance company now has to recognize they've got me for life. They have to deal with the right lifetime incentives. Pay for the cheap prevention up front. A lot of evidence they want to do that and align the insurance and the medical incentives to transform the way we, we deliver medicine in America. That's what we need. And in the process, guess what? My insurance goes for me from job to job, job to home when I stayed home with my kids. You don't have to spend the whole time fighting over who works full-time to get the insurance. It's madness. Americans are rearranging their lives for the insurance. Let's rearrange the insurance so it fits American lives. That's what this system would be. Jonathan Cohn, you said in, in your opening remarks, Jonathan Cohn, you have said that, that the Obama plan 
took the best from both left and right. Give me one idea from the right that your opponents will recognize as an idea that is from their side that they just sure, love. absolutely. Well, first of all, to start it, there's a, a pilot program funding for malpractice reform. Uh, you know, believe it or not, people who uh, wrote the Affordable Care Act, and I would include myself among this, actually believe that there is some money to be saved by reforming the malpractice system. So there's money out there for right, Let me just take that to the side. Do you recognize can, that as can, one can of I your ideas? Say, the big problem Douglas, with the yes. bill – I will stipulate one thing I want to get very clear on the table. There's a lot in the bill that is bipartisan. It's in the delivery system reforms, not in the coverage expansions, which are madness. But they're all tiny. They're pilots. Pilots have a terrible track record of actually turning into real policy. The problem with this bill is it doesn't fix what we know is the issue, health care costs. Instead, it has got a bunch of pilots that Congress will never actually implement. And it doesn't fix the biggest source – of our problem, which is the Medicare system, which pays for fragmentation, pays for overuse. It's a fee-for-service system. We have more problems created by those programs than this could ever solve. We Paul Starr, what that. is the point well, of the program to, said, to solve? I have to respond, respond to this because really, you know, that's amazing for you to say about, about the Medicare program. We had legislation under the Republicans to reform Medicare, to introduce private insurance plans into Medicare. And what is the result? We now know that those plans cost Medicare an extra $1,000 per beneficiary compared to what it would have cost Medicare just to deal with them in a traditional program. The problem is the health care bill. Medicare Advantage is one way to shift it from one person to another. Tax policy, which he said would save us money, doesn't. It just shifts the bill around from one person to another. The problem is the bill. This law does not change our health care bill. That's its issue. I, I, can I just say, I'm, Jonathan I, 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 with all due respect, did you read the bill? Yes. I, I mean, I, there is, there, and did you read the, I mean, I know you've cited CBO reports. I mean, there are, and you yourself admitted, the delivery reforms in there, you think they're not big enough, okay? Now that is, you know what's the thing? I would agree with you. I would like those delivery reforms to be stronger. So here's a proposition. We're, you're talking about repealing Obamacare. How about Let's reinforce it. Let's make those bigger. Why do you want to go back and start from scratch? John Chaddick. I have to raise an issue which your side has raised, and that is you say it gives people choices. Uh, it takes a lot of gall to say that it gives people choices. For example, in Medicare Advantage, it repeals Medicare Advantage for millions of Americans and takes them off. Two, you say that people will have choice of plans. There is one plan prescribed by the government. It actually has three different components, but that's it, three. The notion that this bill gives the average American more choice is ridiculous. It's going to take away the choices Americans have now. When you say, for example, to employers that your costs are going to go up, such as AT&T, to the tune where you could pay the fine for not insuring every one of your employees and still save $2 billion, they're going to have no choice but to drop their coverage and put people into the government-run plan. Can, can I just that, This law introduces a penalty for dropping coverage. So how can you say that the law encourages them to drop precisely coverage? Precisely because right now they choose to provide that coverage for their employees because that's competitive market requires them to do that. People want good coverage. If they drop that coverage, there's no place for those employees to go. Under this bill, they will all get government subsidies. So the notion that this is going to give you more choice when, for example, we don't allow interstate competition in health insurance now, you can't fire Jonathan, Jonathan Cohen, I, 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 want, I, want, I want you to have there actually no heard that choice. argument, because it's actually, it's actually it's, quite it's cogently good, put. It's, it's, and, and if you're right that offering all of these subsidies, the companies are going to drop, then we should see that in Massachusetts right now. Because that's what they have in Massachusetts. They offer the subsidies and companies, uh, where, what, 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 but you know what? It hasn't happened. 
And the best estimates we have from the experts are that it won't happen. Uh, actually, number one, in Massachusetts, we're down to, I think, only four carriers. Several of them are in dire straits. Many yeah. of them have demanded from the governor that he allow them to raise rates. The governor has said no. And That's some great. of them are, are uh, on the verge of folding. Now, let me ask you something. The plan under Obamacare says that if you're in a, an exchange, a government-run exchange, and you only offer the policy that the government-run exchange allows, then you can get a subsidy. Every Republican plan says let's give every single American a tax refund, a tax credit to go buy the plan of their choice. And if, if for the poor, it's cash to go buy the plan of your choice. You can join a new group sponsored would you, would by you your university. Would you mandate a purchase? Would you mandate it? No, I would not mandate it because I think freedom is a hallmark of this country. And I think if so, maybe a lot of the, let, let that money would works. end up at the amusement park or well, the racetrack. Let race me tell you how my plan or... works. It offers every single American that refundable tax credit if they do not enroll. We automatically enroll them because we know their social security number and we knew it at one point. They show up for care somewhere and they say, what plan did you enroll in? The individual says she's a a mother of three that was moving from Idaho to Arizona on the day that the uh, notice came to her. She says, I didn't enroll. They look her up on a social security number and they say, oh, yeah, you're in the pool. Do you want to respond to that either? I want to respond to this whole notion about this uh, complete individual free market here to talk a little bit about the way insurance works. Healthcare is very different from other kinds of services and commodities. 70% of the healthcare costs in any year are concentrated in 10% of the people. So insurance companies have a very strong incentive to cherry pick. And when you have this market where supposedly everybody has individual choices, you also have a market where the insurance companies are going to cherry pick and avoid the sick people. It is the best business model for them. The way the exchanges work is that if you want to sell insurance in the exchange, you have to agree to take anybody. Let me move on to some questions from the audience. And if you... There's a gentleman in the um, black My sweater. question is for the gentleman on this side. Um, recently, my house burned down, and I tried to buy fire insurance after the fact, and the insurance company said it was a pre-existing fire. Now, does that, that doesn't sound fair to me. Does, does that sound fair to you? No. No, 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 it, it's not. And that is why. So I should be able to buy fire insurance after my house burns down? No, no, absolutely not. Look, the, the, one of the reasons that there is a mandate in this law is precisely to avoid the possibility that people will uh, refuse to buy insurance until they get sick. That, that, that's the whole rationale for the mandate. People don't understand the mandate is directly related to the elimination of pre-existing condition ex- ex- exclusion. So my alternative is the following. If you want to opt out, okay, you can do that without penalty, but you have to sign a form saying, I won't come back in. I acknowledge I cannot come back in. For five years, I can't use the exchanges, I can't get the subsidies, I can't get a policy without uh, uh, the pre-existing condition exclusion. So, so I understand your position completely. We need to be able to avoid the possibility that people will behave opportunistically. So, Paul, you don't want to repeal, but you do want to tinker. <laughs> I, I am will. Oh, I am willing to make. Well, I think we're all willing. Yeah, tinkering's yeah, fine. Yeah. We're not against tinkering. We, we, you know, I think everybody who understands this plan thinks that you know it's not a perfect bill. No bill is perfect. The all question right. is, is this a good foundation? I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Four panelists are arguing for and against this motion: repeal Obamacare. Stay with us. 
I'm John Donvan of ABC News. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University in New York and on hundreds of NPR stations across the nation. Our motion is repeal Obamacare, and we are taking questions from the audience. You keep addressing costs, and I think that this debate is mostly about access to care and not really about costs. Do either of you have an answer to utilization and patient and uh, physician-induced demand? Paul Starr. I feel it's, a, it's well, an it's, access issue, but nobody's addressed costs, which is utilization. Well, it's both of those things. But uh, the questioner uh, used a phrase which probably went, went by a lot of people. He talked about physician-induced demand or provider-induced demand. So this is another aspect of how healthcare care is different. Normally, when you are the customer, you make decisions about what to buy. But when you're a patient, particularly when you're very sick, you're in the hospital, other people are making decisions. They're prescribing drugs, procedures, and so forth. And the demand isn't coming from you. It's coming from the supplier. This is a very bizarre system. Or this, reality. That's a very interesting and, point. I want to hear, and that, that's one of and, Paul Starr's basic arguments for why this is not like other things that you pay money for. John Shattuck, do you want to add to that briefly? I do. In the New Republic article that came out some time ago, I'm sorry, the New York Times, New Yorker magazine was the article. It documented where health care costs are the highest. And interestingly, they found that the highest place for health care costs in America is a little town called McAllen, Texas. And they went to McAllen, Texas, and tried to find out why are costs so high. And what they found was a couple of different factors. Number one, they found that doctors, in fact, do prescribe lots of procedures that are unnecessary. They noted that, for example, great health care centers do not prescribe that many procedures. And so they figured out there needed to be a way. They actually began interviewing doctors, and they said, you know what? In the current system, we are not incentivized to control costs. Why are they not incentivized to control costs? Because nobody's watching the store. Yeah, and I, in this I, circumstance, you're not making the decision, but right now, your family could be making that decision. You will not be making that cost decision because you're cut out of the process. More questions, ma'am. I haven't really heard much about the pain and suffering. It's cost, cost, and I know money's an issue, but I haven't heard the human side of this at all, and it's very dismaying. Um, the other thing is... Uh, what about the issue of Americans are not taking very good care of themselves, and they say 75% of the health issues are caused by people's bad habits, or a lot of But them. do you think that's about a law? Uh, I don't think government can change personal behavior, but I think law can change personal behavior, because right now, this system does not incentivize you or I to take care of ourselves. The reform plan says government's going to do it. What I'm saying is... You have to incentivize people to do it. And the way you can incentivize people to do it is to give them skin in the game. Actually, Safeway cuts the cost of its employees' health care if they lower their blood pressure or if they consistently take their uh, cholesterol medicine. May I just we say, so does the Walt Disney Company, of which I am an employee. There you go. Can but, I just, but I want to go back, I want to, go back to the human now. side of this argument. <laughs> I, I take the human side of this argument very, very seriously. When we were kids growing up, Our parents bought indemnity plans, and the doctors cared about us because there was a physician-patient relationship. We put the cash on their table. The system we have created now divorces us completely from our doctor. It says, your doctor isn't hired by you. Your doctor is hired by a plan who was hired by your employer. 
It's time to stop shoveling money to them and put the power and control in your hands. I think, Everyone. I think you agree with most of that. Well, I certainly – no, no, why? Do I agree that I, I think that people sometimes are at the mercy of their insurance companies? Absolutely, and that is why I support this bill and don't think we should repeal it. I mean, remember, right now, your insurance company says you can't get that treatment. You're stuck. You know, you're, right now you're moving between insurance company and insurance company. You change plans, and tomorrow you have to change doctors because they're not on the same network. This plan allows people to stay on in the same insurance plan for longer. And when that denial comes down, guess what? You can appeal it. That's, that's a mandate. That's a regulation. And you know what? Um, it helps people. You're, can I ask you what you're hearing so far that has <laughs> at, in any way changed your mind? It hasn't changed my mind. It's been a lot of the same rhetoric, I think. But I keep hearing always from the proponents of this, um, of repealing about consumer choice. And way before this law, they kept talking about consumer choice will lower costs. And I want to ask you if you really believe that a parent with a child that needs a heart surgery is going to choose the cheapest heart surgeon and the cheapest hospital. And when your father's dying of prostate cancer, they're going to choose not to give four months of very expensive treatment. That's a question to the side arguing for repeal. This is what I would say to you. Healthcare is not a one thing. It's not just those circumstances tragic and threatening as the ones you described. Healthcare and where we spend this is an enormous range that involves elective procedures, chronic conditions, it involves traumatic injury, and we have a system that does not provide individuals with anything like the ability to manage their care, anything like the information needed to, to choose between high and low value care never gets them in a preventive way in a position to avoid being stuck with a tragic choice. That's wrong. We need a system that they control all aspects of their life cycle up to those very moments. Paul Starr, who is against repeal. Well, I agree with the sympathies of the questioner that there's something really fundamentally amiss here, this image of the patient as economic man, how really out of touch it is with the conditions of illness, how, in fact, it assumes... Um, uh, a kind of marketplace where, for example, prices would be available. Actually, you can't find out what the prices are for different things. There is... And in fact, a hospital has 12 different prices for the same thing, depending on who it's treating. We don't have a system of posted prices in healthcare. Now, maybe you want to change all that. Maybe you want to uh, uh, transform it. But you were in power for years and you didn't do anything about it. John Shattig. Yeah. The decision point that you referred to once they've gotten sick is not the right one. People are not going to pay, are not going to choose to pay cheaper premiums unless they have to. What they're going to do is pay, they're going to spend as much as they can on health care and get the best product they can. They won't choose to buy a cheap policy. Some may, but most people will buy the most expensive policy they can. The key isn't that you will be able to get a cheaper policy. The problem is the insurance companies are cheating us right now. They're charging too much because they don't have to compete. Okay, the reality question, is they're cutting a fat hog. The far right, you're standing in the aisle and making yourself known. Thank you. Hi. Um, I know we're here to discuss to repeal or not to repeal, but that is not the question. I think the central question should be, and it is also my question to you, what is our path to a truly universal, affordable healthcare system? Because whether we have the Affordable Care Act or whether we have the status quo, both systems are asking us to put our faith in the private health insurance industry, which is profit-driven. What is the path? 
Well, what is the path to well, an improved well, well, repeal, Medicare repealing system? Ob- repealing Obamacare all. is the question, but <laughs> what given, is the path given, to an improved given, given Medicare? Given your, your passion for all and verve, uh, I'd just like to give each side thirty seconds to respond to that. Yeah. Well, this law reflects a conviction that we can regulate a private system, not just private insurers, but also private hospitals, private doctors, and achieve the goals that you're interested in a universal system. And in fact, really, if you look at other countries, they're not all government-controlled. They have many private insurance funds in many European countries and achieve a universal. Thank you. On this side, uh, Douglas Holtaken. There's nothing about insurance companies per se that anyone should like. But the alternative, a monopoly that you have to deal with, is completely inferior to having a vibrant insurance industry that has to compete for your business. I would much rather force them to give me a decent service than have a mandate that I have to use the one that's provided by the government. The second thing is, remember, a national payer cannot negotiate any better between one hospital in Wichita and another hospital in Wichita, which is ultimately where you have to negotiate who can provide this care at the cheapest price. They can't do it any better than the guy in Wichita. So there is literally no advantage to a national plan. It's a charade. Uh, One more question, and ma'am, purple scarf. Yeah. My question is... Why should we not trust our elected officials? I lived in Great Britain for 25 years. I was a beneficiary of the National Health Service as well as private medicine. But there was an implicit trust that my tax pounds um, from my paycheck would help subsidize health care. Let's put that to the side that's arguing to repeal. I think we should trust them. Uh, However, in this instance, we didn't. In point of fact, when Obamacare passed, it was opposed by roughly 54% of the American people. It today is opposed by somewhere closer to 60% of the people. When Social Security was adopted, more than 80% of the members of the Congress, House and Senate, voted for the creation of Social Security. When Medicare and Medicaid were created, more than 70% of the members of Congress supported those programs. When this bill passed... It passed by the slimmest of margins in the House, 50.8 percent, purely partisan vote, and without the kind of consensus that I think will make it sustainable. If it were sustainable, we wouldn't be having this debate. Jonathan Cohn, 30 seconds. Uh, Okay. Very quickly, the polls, if you scratch those polls even a little bit, what you will find is that it's a country overall. Do you like the health care reform? Yes, no, about divided. Ask the people who don't like it. Do you think it should be repealed and just we should go back to where we were or make it stronger? About half the people break off and say, oh, no, we want it to be stronger. And if you test the individual elements, they're wildly popular. Protection against pre-existing conditions, getting kids kids under 25 on parent. All of these things are wildly popular. And yes, it's true. The Republican Party did not. This was a close vote. You know why that is? That's because we live in a world not like the one 20, 30 years ago where you had a responsible Republican Party, where you had moderate oh. Republicans. That, that, I'm sorry. Oh. The fact is, as my colleague said, my colleagues, the ideas in this plan were virtually identical in the broad framework to what the Republicans were proposing just 12 years ago. It's what Mitt Romney signed. This is not a radical plan. John I wish Shattuck, it were a radical plan. It's equal not. time for you on that. I think it's offensive to say that the Republican Party is irresponsible. You know, I, I'm sorry. I take offense at that. Yes, Republicans passed the opportunity when they held both majorities of Congress. But quite frankly, we did not have the demand that we have now seen. But how do you defend the fact that broad consensus is necessary to support this legislation? Have you defended it other than to say, well, back then the Republican Party was responsible and now it's not? And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate.
And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing remarks from each of the debaters in turn. And it's their last chance to try to change your minds to their point of view. And first, to speak against our motion, repeal Obamacare against repeal, Paul Starr, professor at Princeton University, co-founder and co-editor of The American Prospect, and Pulitzer Prize-winning author of The Social Transformation of American Medicine. Thank you. Two months ago, the editor of an Austrian newspaper, a conservative, by the way, asked me how Americans could possibly oppose giving health insurance to the millions who don't have it. To Europeans across the political spectrum, it's unthinkable to withhold health insurance just as we would regard it as unthinkable to deny an education to children. Repealing the law would mean denying coverage to more than 30 million people. It would mean uh, repealing the law's protections against abusive insurance practices. It would mean giving up a whole series of cost containment measures that show a lot of promise for reigning in medical inflation. But even more important, repeal would be a confession of political helplessness in the face of a problem that has nagged at the national conscience for a century. It would be a confession that we simply are not capable of the elementary decency toward the sick that characterizes every other advanced democracy. There are surely changes that should be made in the law, but it would be an unspeakable tragedy for millions of people if we were to repeal it. Thank you, Paul Starr. Our motion is repeal Obamacare, and here to speak for the motion... For repeal, John Shattuck, former eight-term congressman from Arizona and a senior fellow at the Goldwater Institute. The current system is broken. There's no question about it. It's broken because it costs too much. It's broken because there are too many people who don't have insurance. And it's tragically broken because some people are denied care because they have a chronic illness or a pre-existing condition. We need to address those problems, and there are lots of reforms that we can to address them. Indeed, my legislation and other legislation that Republicans have offered provide universal coverage. My legislation says you give every single American a tax credit. For the poor, you give them a refundable tax credit, an amount of money. So we achieve universal coverage, every single American. We can deal with the problem of the uninsured without forcing million Americans who like their current coverage to lose it. And we can deal with the problem of pre-existing conditions. I had high heart bypass surgery. I have a pre-existing condition. I care about this issue. I have an older sister, my oldest sister, who has breast cancer. No one should be denied health care because they have a pre-existing condition. But we can do that without forcing everybody out of the coverage they have now. Thank you very much. Our motion is repeal Obamacare and to speak in his closing remarks against the motion, Jonathan Cohn, senior editor at The New Republic, senior fellow at Demos, and author of Sick, The Untold Story of America's Healthcare Crisis and the People Who Pay the Price. This is a problem we have had in this country for a long time. It is a a problem that keeps getting worse. Two years ago, we had a presidential election. And we debated, what are we going to do about this? One, President Obama won, the Democrats got in, and this was job number one. They reached out to the Republicans. They took ideas that Republicans had for years claimed as their own. said, all right, we'll meet you halfway, and we'll try, we'll, we'll, we will come up with a plan that builds on your ideas and our ideas, and we'll work together. And the Republicans walked away, and they said, fine. If we have to go it alone, we'll go it alone. But they kept the same ideas. They took the best from left and right. And what did they get? It's not a perfect plan. But it is a plan that will mean 30 million people have health insurance. It will mean that the insurance 
people have will be good insurance that will cover what they need. Congressman Shattuck never tells you this part of his plan, but the credit he would offer people isn't enough to pay for a good plan. And people with pre-existing conditions, it would basically work out to second-class insurance for second-class people. This is the plan they're talking about. The cost, cost control, not perfect. It could be better. Fine. But repeal Obamacare? Tom Harkin said this is a starter house. It's got a good foundation, and it's got room for expansion. I say let's keep that foundation. Let's build onto it. And let's not repeal Obamacare. Let's not start over. Let's go forward. Thank you, Jonathan Cohn. Our motion is repeal Obamacare. And finally, to speak for the motion, for repeal, Douglas Holtz-Aiken, who is president of the American Action Forum and a former director of the Congressional Budget Office and former advisor to John McCain. This is not something on which we can build a future. This is a dangerous beginning. It does not fix the broken programs that are threatening the financial future of the United States. Medicare and Medicaid are not touched by this program. They deserved the attention of a health care reform. They were dismissed as unimportant. Instead, we got a strategy to double down on those broken failures and try to write checks to paper over a broken system. And in the process, we are threatening the very future of this country, threatening the freedom and prosperity of Americans on which the health care system and everything else will be built. And we are most tragically doing it at the expense of our youngest and most vulnerable, our kids. They didn't get a vote. They aren't going to be able to believe what we have done to them when they grow up. They will pay the bills now. They will pay the bills later. They won't see higher quality care. And we will, in the process, stick many of them into systems that ostensibly give them, quote, access, but where no physician can afford to treat them, no hospital will want them in their beds, and they will not get good care, and they will be broke to boot. Repeal Obamacare today. Thank you. Douglas Holtz-Aiken. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side has argued best. But before we get to that, I just want to thank both teams for coming to this debate with the kind of arguments they did. We aspire to ideas here, and we certainly heard them tonight. Thank you to all of our debaters for the way that they conducted themselves and did this. All right, it's all in now. I have been given the results. Remember, you have been asked to vote twice in this debate, once before and once again at the end. And the team that has changed the most minds is declared our winner. And here it is. Our motion is repeal Obamacare. Before the debate, 17% were for repeal, 47% against, 36% undecided. After the debate, 22% are for repeal Obamacare. That's up 5%. 72% are against. That's up 25%. 6% are undecided. The motion repeal Obamacare is defeated. That's it for us at Intelligence Squared. Thank you from John Donvan, and we'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.